Hey, good morning. Good morning. I'm glad to see y'all. And uh, I know y'all are excited to see each other. I can tell by the chatter in the room. I love it. It's a good thing. This is community. This is what we do. Now, uh, normally it'd be me and the kids up here bringing the music, of course, but we have got a special guest today. Tony Hicks is with us this morning, and uh, Tony is, is special to recreate in ways that you may not know. Uh, Tony's mom and dad uh, were instrumental in my wife coming to know the Lord as Savior. She spent a lot of time there in her teenage years and was a big influence on, uh, they were a big influence on her. And now, let's see, who do we have that was around when we were meeting at the hotel, like in the earliest, early days? For those of you who don't know, we started in my living room, then we went to the Senior Citizens Building for a while, and there was a dead mouse in the Senior Citizens Building that seemed to stay there for a long time. So we went to the um, Hampton Inn, to the conference room at the Hampton Inn, and there was a good-looking young man there at the desk who uh, led us into the conference room. And you know who that good-looking young man was? The one, the only, Tony Hicks. He was that young man. As his daddy would tell you, good looks run in the family. And uh, preaching runs in the family. I'd, and he's here to lead our worship today, so will you sing along with him, please? It's all yours, Tony. With a setup like that, you got it, man. There you go. Yeah. All right, y'all sing loud and proud with me now. There's a land that is fairer than And by faith we can see it afar For the Father To prepare us a dwelling place in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that. We will sing on that beautiful tree The melodious songs of the blessed And our spirit shall sorrow no Not a sigh for the blessings of grace And the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore To our bountiful Father above We will offer And the blessings that hallow our way In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore In the sweet by and by 
on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore. Amen. Amen. Love to hear that. <clears throat> Got the lyrics up there. All right, we're ready to go. Alas, and my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart away it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day was it for crimes that I had done he groaned upon the tree Tony Hicks, and I grew up in Laurel Fork, and uh, I uh, I grew up a uh, in a Christian home. Um, I don't know if any of you have heard of Mountain View Bible Camp before, but it's a camp just down in Dugsburg, and uh, I remember I was about uh, six years old. They were doing uh, missionary time, and at the end of the missionary time, the uh, 
the missionary gave an invitation. He said, if you don't want to go to hell, raise your hand. I was six years old. I said, nobody, I don't want to go there. (laughs) So uh, I raised my hand and I went up and said said a little prayer and that was it. I was saved, so I thought. And I'm not saying it can't happen like that, but it didn't happen like that for me. And uh, from that point on, I, I always struggled with the, with the assurance of my salvation. And uh, I, my father, he was, a, he was a preacher growing up. I was in church, in and out a lot. And I know through the years, I, I began to see a lot of hypocrisy in the church and church people. And uh, got hurt by some church members. And... Uh, I got I got downhearted, and um, needless to say, I didn't want to be known as a preacher's son. So uh, I did everything in my power that I could to uh, convince people that I I wasn't a goody two shoes, and I wasn't a wasn't like the rest of them preachers' kids. So I did I did everything to convince people that I was cool. I I started. 18, started drinking, um, had a sailor's mouth on me. Um, all the while, though, you know, I would, I would tell everybody, you know, I still went to church, and uh, I still prayed, you know, so, so I was all right. Um, I'd like to share with you a little bit in Matthew. I told Mike I didn't want to cut into his time. He says, Oh, don't worry, we'll preach till the cows come home. But uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess to them, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And uh, I say that to say, it doesn't matter how good you are on the outside, um, what you, uh, how, how good you think you are. Um, Romans says, uh, there is none righteous, no, not one. We all are born of the sin-cursed nature. We rightly deserve the wrath of God. But God, being rich in mercy, sent his son to bear the crimes, to bear the penalty for the crimes that you and I have committed. Romans tells us, Romans 5, 8 says, But God committed his love towards sinners, that while we are in yet sin, Christ died for us. And... uh, I, re- I remember just living, a, I, would, I would go to church on Sundays, but during the, during the week, I would uh, be drinking, cussing. I mean, you, you had really no indication that I was a Christian. And uh, I'll start by saying it's, it's not the works that make you right with God. It's not anything you can do but the blood of Christ 
is the only thing that can atone for your sin and my sin. And uh, eventually I, I went on. Uh, I worked at, uh, work at Twin County Hospital, and there was a gentleman that had gotten a car accident over there, and he got killed. And I remember looking at that, that person's body. He wasn't but about 40. And saying to myself, you know, this could have easily been me. Time's short. We're not promised tomorrow. And the Lord got to convict in my heart. And uh, he just uh, let me know that that could have been me easily. And if that was me, where would I have gone? And uh, the next night my wife got baptized over here at Victory Way Baptist, and I remember them playing the song, There Is a Fountain. And it says, There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And I thought, man, out of all the, all the grief and the shame I have, just to have that all washed away just by the blood of Jesus. But at the same time, I... There, I had my selfish pride. I didn't want to say that I wasn't saved. I told people all my life that I was saved. And uh, let me tell you something. If that's you today, if maybe you said a prayer when you were younger, or if you haven't repented, believed in the gospel, and Christ hasn't come into your heart and made you a new creature, you can't stand right with God. You must repent and believe the gospel. God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son for you. The only way that we could be made right with the holy and righteous God. And uh, that next song here is, uh, is about the cross. And uh, the last verse, it says, uh, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, and my all. It's not much, but it's all he requires. So y'all, uh, y'all sing a song with me. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but lost and poor contempt on my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ, my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I. Sacrifice 
them to thy blood see through his hand his hands his feet sorrow and love flow such love and sorrow me or thorns compose so rich a crown were the whole realm of nature that were a present far too small love so amazing so divine demands my soul my life my Repeat that first person me. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. And pour contempt on all my pride. Thank you, Tony. Folks, you may be seated. Good morning. I'm glad to see y'all. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. Uh, some of you have been around for a while and you know our motto. But let's, let's remind everybody of it and tell it to the whole world because we have the world listening to our podcast, blows my mind. Here we are in a little street corner in Hillsville, Virginia, right here by Pizza Hut and across from Hardee's and Burger King. For some reason, there are people listening all over the world. I think we picked up Australia now. So the only continent left is Antarctica. So you just pray that we'll get to Antarctica at some point. Uh, if you've never listened to our podcast, just go on Google and Google Recreate Church Podcast, and it'll be the first thing that pops up, and you can uh, listen to it uh, through all number of things on your phone. So let's, let's, uh, I think we have some music playing. That's okay. That's all right. All right. There we go. That's where we're supposed to be. So let's do, uh, let's do our motto. It's up here on the banner. No matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. All right. Praise the Lord. Say a couple of things before I forget them. Uh, we're having a cleanup day on Saturday, March the 4th. Got too much on my stand up here. Saturday, March the 4th, we're having a cleanup day. We need at least 10 volunteers, but we would take more than that to kind of clean up the building. It's been a little while since we've done a spring cleaning day, so we would love to have you. And there's some light repairs. I think we've got a few little small handyman type stuff. That is Saturday, March the 4th, 8.30 a.m., so late in the day, 
for for me, uh, I get up too early. My, I work. Uh, I tell people I work. Uh, I have to work a job to support my preaching habit. But it's a good habit, right? I've had a lot worse habits than this. There's a sign-up sheet at the guest services desk at the door. Also, what was the other thing? Ah, the prayer meeting this Wednesday. Instead of our normal Bible study, we're going to open it up to whoever wants to come. We're going to have a prayer meeting. Not like the kind of prayer meeting where you say uh, you've got somebody that you care about who's going through something and is sick or is hurt. Hey, those are important prayers, right? We should lift those up to the Lord. But this prayer meeting is different. This is a prayer meeting of seeking the Lord, asking for His help and His blessing and the outpouring of His Spirit. Because look around, folks. The Spirit of the Lord is doing some things. We've got news of revival breaking out in places. There's a, a college just one state over where they've had like a continual uh, chapel service for like over a week now. I mean, something is happening. Something is happening. I am excited to bring you some uh, word, something from the Word this morning. Um, I remember, I don't know, it's been a long time ago, before I had kids, uh, I remember a friend called me up, and he wanted to tell me about this cool thing he'd discovered. All right? The modern equivalent would be that you got a friend request on social media from someone you hadn't talked to since high school, or maybe didn't talk to since high school. And uh, it's like when you get that social media request from someone you, like, do I remember talking to them? Maybe. I think I had math class with them, and, like, you got a message out of the blue. Some of you know what's about to come next. And the message after you receive the request is, hey, girl, senior, looking good. Would you be interested in making some money from home and being your own boss? <laughs> my buddy, my buddy called me up. This was like before social media was a big thing. And he's like, I got to show you this stuff, Michael. It's this juice. I'm going to call it the weird juice trademark. Weird juice. All right. This weird juice. I'm going to tell you the name just in case you're drinking the weird juice. We don't drink the Kool-Aid and we don't drink the weird juice around here. Um, so this weird juice was supposed to make you skinny. Now this particular friend was not skinny and he was drinking the weird juice. So I don't know what was up with that. But the weird juice was supposed to make you skinny. And he wanted to sign me up to sell the weird juice too. And if I can get other people signed up to sell the weird juice, then I get some weird juice for free. So you're following me here? Hey, I'm, I'm not here to like dog that kind of a business plan. Some people do really well with that and some people don't. But I just, you know, the weird juice wasn't making my buddy skinny, so I didn't buy any weird juice. And I didn't get anybody else to uh, sell the weird juice either. Sometimes people get the idea that this whole Jesus life is just like a weird juice scam, all right? Where we're trying to recruit more people into our weird juice pyramid. And they're supposed to recruit more people, like a multi-level marketing thing. And it, it looks a little like it, right? I mean... We, we are trying to, to reach people with the message. We want to bring people into this thing that we're doing. We want to include people, and, and we want to encourage them to include others. But there is a very different thing here right off the bat from, from the weird juice. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. There's no fee for what we're doing. We don't even pass a plate. Never in the history of Recreate Church have we passed a plate. We've always had these boxes and people give or they don't and we've always paid our bills and to God be the glory because we started with nothing 
except the promises of God, and He's brought us a long, long way. There's a, there's a difference. Um, we don't want money from you. We want something for you. We want to see people move in the direction of Jesus to find the life and the hope and the peace that comes through Him. I almost say, you know, weird juice, but I do want to say you on this Jesus fella because of what He can do for you. How He can give you a life that you didn't know you could have and a, a fresh start in life. Today I want to tell you the story of how Jesus sent out the 12 disciples to spread the good news and to invite people into this Jesus following life. So I'm going to put on my Sunday school teacher hat. Uh, I've, I've taught Sunday school a few times through the year. Some of y'all were in my Sunday school. A few of you were in my Sunday school. We had a good time, didn't we? So I'm going to put that back on now. Years ago at my home church, somehow when I was 19 years old, I got roped into teaching Sunday school for the college and career class. I was I probably didn't have any business doing that, but God blessed it anyway. Ain't God good? He blessed it anyway. So I get to, to, to pull out my, my Sunday school teacher hat here. So really two questions, two questions for today. Are you a disciple? Are you being discipled? And who are you discipling? So the text comes from Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 7. I'm going to read it and I'll pray for us. And then he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits and he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he also said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust from under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll open up your word to us, that you'll prick our hearts about the needs to be more than just Someone who claims to believe, but to really be a disciple. And to be a disciple who invites others to join this life. In Jesus' name, amen. So we start out there in, uh, what is it, verse 7? Verse 7? Let's go to verse 7. And we see here Jesus calling the twelve disciples to himself and sending them back out. And to this point, they've been absorbing, right? They've been learning. They've been receiving from Jesus. He had, he had been teaching them. And that's what should be happening. The word disciple literally means someone who learns from another person. Someone who follows the example of another person. They were his disciples in that they were literally following him around and receiving spiritual truth and training and sharing this life with him. But of course, if they're going to emulate their master... And he's sharing spiritual truth with them. What are they going to have to do? Share spiritual truth. If they were going to follow his example, they could not just receive. They had to give. They were being taught, but it was in order to teach. Now, I could see, I could feel a little panic rising in some people right now. I said, preacher, you're going to make me teach. Uh, uh, don't, 
Don't make me a teacher. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a preacher. That's for you. I get it. Okay. I, you know, do you know, do you know it doesn't have to be formal? You know, you don't have to like at the stoplight, yell at people, say, Hey, would you like to be discipled? Because they'll be like, um, rolling the window up. That's probably what will happen. It doesn't have to be a formal thing. And it doesn't have to be a weird thing. You just share what God is doing in your life. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm a little afraid to do this, but I'm going to t- try it. I don't know what I'll get. Do you have like a favorite hobby? What's a favorite hobby? A favorite hobby? Reading. Reading, reading that's a good hobby. A hobby. Hobbies can be contagious. Um, Katie went to Diane's house. And they are doing crafts. I love crafts because why buy something at the store for $10 when you can buy all the stuff to make it for $70 and make it at home? (laughs) Do you know what Hobby Lobby is? I don't believe in purgatory. That's not in the Word of God, but it's pretty darn close at Hobby Lobby. That's where the Lord sends husbands to test them to see if their faith is real. So Katie goes and hangs out with Diane and sees this thing called a cricket and I ain't talking about Jiminy. It's one of them cricket cutters. So several months ago, my, uh, Katie says, you know, my birthday's coming up pretty soon. She sounded just like that, real sweet and everything. And I'd really like one of those cricket cutters. I was like, uh-huh. what's the budget? Because she's, she's good the budget. She is the um, secretary of the treasury is what I call her. And when I spend some money, I've got to clear it with the secretary of the treasury. got to go through corporate. Katie is corporate. So if you ever hear me say, let me run that up the ladder to corporate. Here's corporate in the orange shirt in the front row. I said, can we afford that? And she says, well, not on my birthday, but like the week after. So she delayed her birthday present like the week after, and she's got a cricket. Yay, isn't that fun? Now, the thing is, was it at all weird to talk about all the wonderful, if you don't know what a cricket is, it's a little thing that cuts out other little things. It cuts out little vinyl and stickers and all of that. And it's, don't, don't, be careful. Don't drink the cricket Kool-Aid or you'll have one too. No, I'm just kidding. But it's easy to talk about those things, right? Because, hey, look at this cool thing. It's a cricket, so it's contagious. Jesus can be that way too, you know. Just say, hey, here's what the Lord is doing for me. Lucy was testifying this morning of how she was in so much pain. Do y'all remember the day we prayed over Lucy up here? And Lucy was testifying that she feels so much better. So much better. It's easy to explain things you're passionate about. And maybe the deal with all this Jesus stuff and why it's so hard to talk about Jesus is, is maybe the question is a matter of, of passion. Of passion. And if we get our passion up, we don't have to have so much social skills. Um, you don't have to have a lot of teaching skills to talk about something you're passionate about. I want you to imagine this. Imagine there's a chain running from Jesus... All the way to you. 2,000 years. A chain. And every link in the chain is a person. Jesus taught this spiritual life to the 12. The 12 taught it to more people. Those people taught it to more. And they shared it, and they shared it, and they shared it. Do you realize there's an unbroken chain from Jesus to you? An unbroken chain all the way from the Son of God in first century Israel to you right now in your seat. And a street corner in Hillsville, Virginia. An unbroken chain bringing the gospel message to you. 
Imagine if someone along the way had broken that chain, had not shared. Then what happens? What happens then? The gospel might not get down to you. You see, this whole idea of sharing Jesus is a decision not to break the chain. Not to be the dead link in the chain. The gospel came to you, but it doesn't stop with you. The gospel goes through you to the next person. And I don't know who it is you're supposed to be sharing with, but you're supposed to be sharing. There is the next link in the chain. We are disciples who make disciples. That is right at the core of who we are. If you grab one of our brochures and open it up, and right smack in the middle of our core values, it says we are disciples who make disciples. We make the choice to follow and learn from Jesus, and we pass on some of what we learn to the next person. So who are you sharing this life with? Again, it does not have to be formal. It does not have to be um, something that is, is weird. It, it can be in the context of normal Life. When I went to kindergarten at glorious Dugspur Elementary School that does not exist anymore, Dugspur Elementary School, I went to kindergarten and I learned how to read. My brother's two years younger than me. I would come home and I would tell him the things that I learned. Smart young man. He picked up and he could kind of read before he went to school. And mom, I think I may owe you an apology because that's probably why he was bored in school and got in trouble in school. My bad for teaching my little brother to read. Um, I just shared it, but he's doing good now. He's doing great. He, he had a little hyperactivity back then. Um, it doesn't have to be weird. Just share. You say, I'm scared to talk to people. I get that. I a hundred percent get that. Some of you have been around me long enough to know that the idea of talking to people was a very hard thing for me at one time. And it still is. Sometimes it's easier for me to have this mic up here, communicating the message than it is to kind of interact socially. But Jesus did not send these folks out alone, did he? What's it say? He called the twelve to himself and began to send them out. Two by two. Everybody had a buddy. If you got somebody with you today, just turn to them and say, will you be my buddy? Say it just like that. You be my buddy. Yeah, you be my buddy. You see, that's a two by two. That's a strategy that is uh, used um, still by people who have gone door to door. I've, gone, I've, knocked on, I've knocked on probably half the doors in Hillsville. And I always had somebody with me. And even, even some of the folks whose theology that I cannot agree with, their theology and beliefs are a little sketchy, tend to knock on doors two by two. There's, there's something there. You know, I wonder if Jesus paired up some unlikely partners among the twelve. We're not told who he sent together. I wonder if he sent like Matthew and Simon the Zealot together. Do you know anything about these guys? Matthew used to work for the Roman government collecting taxes, right? Simon the Zealot was a part of a guerrilla organization trying to overthrow the Roman government. I wonder if Jesus put them two together. That'd be like a great buddy cop movie, wouldn't it? You know, it's, it's like lethal weapon, except it's like not lethal gospel. I don't know. We'll work on, we'll workshop that. We'll figure that one out. But he sent them out two by two. Why two by two? Maybe a couple of reasons. Under the Jewish law, there was a requirement for two witnesses in order for a testimony to be verified. To put it into kind of like hillbilly terms, because that's where I am. If Cletus sees a Sasquatch, we don't just believe Cletus. But if Billy Bob sees the same Sasquatch, now we got to pay attention. Okay. So it's just two, it's two witnesses. 
Um, also, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I think, I, did I put that one in there, Matthew? Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Solomon uh, writes, um, I think I put it in there, about uh, two or two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. And what's the next verse? For if they fall, one will lift of his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to hold him up. And then we'll go to verse 12. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him in a threefold cord is quickly broken. See, we're not just talking about the safety of numbers. We're talking about community. Jesus made us for community, to be together. There's this principle of community. If the famous 12 disciples, the powerhouse Jesus followers who took the gospel to the whole world did not try to do it alone, why are we trying to do this Jesus life alone? Why don't we have somebody that we're sharing it with? I don't know your story as far as that goes, but man, I would suggest that you have somebody that you talk to at least once a week, if not a few times a week or every day, Somebody that is sharing this life with you. So you can have somebody with you. In our current age, we have grown so disconnected. Living in the age of pandemics, we've been isolated from one another. And I get it, it is so easy. My nature would be to isolate a little bit anyway. I'm not a social butterfly. You, you think I am because you see me here. I do this for Jesus. I'm a social butterfly for Jesus. The rest of the time, I'm a social caterpillar in a cocoon. I get back in my cocoon after this is over. And understand, when we are disconnected from one another, it takes a toll. It's very easy to do your app order at Walmart and not have to talk to anybody. I get that 100%. But we need connection with other people. If you remember when God was making the world and everything in it, every day he said, this is good. He made this and it is good. What was the first thing he said is not good? He said, it is not good for a person to be alone, a man to be alone. That wasn't a romantic relationship thing. That was people. That was a, a connection thing. He said, it's not good for people to be alone. It's not good for us. Jesus made us for community on the door walking in. There's the words, recreate church, a community of life and love. And we take that seriously. We've got to have that. See, when we start this service, and I can't hardly start the service because everybody's talking to one another, that's not a problem. That's a good thing. When we end the service and people don't leave because they're talking, that's not a problem. That's a good thing. You don't have to be in a hurry. You don't have to run off. Because we're sharing life. And it's more than just showing up at the same time at the same place every week and rooting on some preacher guy. That is not what church is. It is this community that we are building. So let's continue on here. Verse 8 says, uh, if you'll get back to Mark chapter 6, verse 8. Jesus told them to take nothing for the journey. No luggage, no backpack, no food. I didn't like that part. Not even a pack of like fruit snacks for the road. What happens if you get hungry? Nothing. Nothing but a walking stick and the clothes on their back. No plan. No Chick-fil-A gift card. No extra tunic. Why, why no extra tunic? Because they would use that as a blanket or as a pillow when they would sleep. And uh, no, no blankie. No blankie even. No hotel reservations. No camper. No tent. No nothing. They could have a staff, a walking stick, partly because they were walking. Also, it would be some degree of protection. 
to have a staff. Um, they didn't have any money, but a robber wouldn't know that until he knocked them out and searched the pockets. Then he would find out, well, doggone, didn't have anything worth stealing. So they could have a stick, or in my mind, the time that I grew up, I see it as 100% a bow staff, because Donatello was my favorite Ninja Turtle. He was, he was the one I liked. He was the inventive one. I, I felt like I wanted to be like that. So they were able to go out with a bow staff. So all but empty-handed, Jesus sent them out into the world and said, hey, uh, go make some disciples. So what's that about? Empty-handed and alone, almost alone, almost with nothing? Is God going to ask us to do that? Well, God might ask you to walk out of your house with nothing but a walking stick. Probably not. He might. He could. But probably not. Here's what I do know 100% sure. He will ask you to trust Him when you cannot see how it's going to work out. He will ask you to jump when you don't know where you're going to land. Been there. Done that. Didn't even get a t-shirt. They weren't giving away t-shirts that day. Been there. You've got to still trust Him though. The best advice I can give you is a quote from Charles Stanley. Many of you will know that name. Trust God and leave the consequences to Him. I have said more than once, Lord, you got me into this mess and you're going to have to get me out. And here I am. So he did get me out. I'm not saying it was fun while it was happening. Trust God and leave the consequences to him. I don't know what you're dealing with today. But that is my advice to you. Trust God and leave the consequences to him. Verse 10, interesting verse here. In whatever place you enter a house, stay there until you depart that place. Stay there. So what does that mean? Does that mean someone's staying at your house when the party's over and you're like, I'd really like to clean up and go to bed. That's why I, uh, I like it better when get-togethers are at someone else's house because um, my sweet Katie, she, she is very more social than me. And I'll say, we've gotten to this point and I'm at 21 years of marriage and I can come up to her and say, sweetheart, I think I'm about done now. <laughs> and she understands. She's like, okay, let's do it. And that's fine. But if it's at your house, you can't, you can't do that. Or can you? Can you do that? Look, I don't always understand social cues very well. If Duncan does it, it's like, hey, sweetheart, I need to uh, go rotate the tires in the car. So why now? Why are you doing it now? No, I don't think I can get away with that. I'm not as, as uh, uh, good at Duncan as, as coming up with reasons to escape. Um, no, that's not what it meant. This was their plan for lodging. Understand, this was a hospitality culture. It was not unusual for people in that culture to take in a traveler or a stranger. Like you meet somebody at the public market, and they're passing through and say, oh, why don't you stay the night with us? Come and stay with us. That was the hospitality culture. Now, we don't really do that in our culture so much because we don't want to end up as a Dateline special. Like one time, there was this young guy like traveling the parkway, and I met when I was out at Metasdan Baptist Church, and he sta- remember he stayed maybe a two nights with us. I don't remember, and I still keep up with him. Corey was his name, Corey Foot, Foot with an E on the end. So if you're listening to this Corey Foot out there, what's up, man? I hope you're doing well. And uh, it was okay. We we locked all the bedroom doors and stuff because I'm like I'm pretty sure this guy's not an axe murderer, but just in case. But it was normal in that culture in that society to take in a traveler to put them up for the night, to feed them. This was Jesus' plan for their lodging. Um, 
Jesus said, when you go into a house, when you're staying in a house, don't go house hopping. <laughs> Maybe the translation is, don't go looking for somebody who puts more butter in the mashed taters. <laughs> don't go looking for someone, well, they got one of them memory foam mattresses over there, Lord, and I'm on, a, I'm on an air mattress over here. Can I go to the better place? No, I don't think so. Because two things, number one, that's going to offend someone, right? It's like, um, it's been nice, but, uh, but uh, it's a little better over here. That would be offensive and that would kind of miss it. Also, Jesus was showing them this wasn't about their comforts and their preferences. It wasn't. This was bigger than them. It, it was bigger than their likes and their dislikes. Through the years, Jesus people or church people have gotten used to the idea that everything we do should be revolving around our comforts and our preferences. And I'm not saying that's not unimportant. You should be, there should be a degree of, of comfort and, and peace when you are in a church environment. But what we do, we can't just do. Jesus has called us to go beyond our comforts and our preferences. If you'll put the slide up, the one that starts with we believe. This is another one of our core values. I love getting to talk about our core values today. Here's something that we need to take to heart Write this down if you're a writing down person. We believe reaching people is more important than serving our comforts and our preferences. We believe reaching people is more important than serving our comforts and our preferences. Does that thing mean we'll make things intentionally uncomfortable? Nah. Does that mean we might play some songs that aren't your cup of tea sometime? Probably. If that means we can connect with some people. Does that mean we'll maybe do some things that wouldn't be the way you would do them? Yeah, maybe. If that means we can reach somebody who normally we could not reach. This is what we're about. It's, it's, we're never going to be a country club. But we're going to do our best to be one heck of a lifeguard station. How about that? So why share a house? Why would Jesus have them share a house? Because if you're sharing a house, you're sharing life. And then when you're sharing life, you're sharing Jesus. That gives you the opportunity to share Jesus as you share life. Verse 11 says, Jesus said, if they won't receive you, then shake the dust off your feet. I'm putting you back and forth so much, Matthew. Thank you for your patience. If you go to Mark 6, 11. All right, what if I try to share Jesus? What if I try to share my faith and people won't hear it? Well, don't take it personally. Unless you're being obnoxious, it's probably not about you. Now, can a can a person be obnoxious when they're trying to share their faith? I confess that I have been obnoxious before when I've tried to share my faith, and no one is going to receive that well, all right? No one ever is going to respond well to being badgered or spoken down to. Even if you want very much a person to be saved, throwing I love Jesus water balloons at them will probably not get the job done. Fair? You've got to think about this. You're not going to get a positive reaction. I'm going to be candid. The world as around us does not always seem very welcoming to discussions about faith and about Jesus or, or about biblical truth. It, it's not, and we recognize that. We live in an area where it's much easier to have those conversations, at least on the surface. There's a lot of folks who at least will, who have got some church in their background or have, as, as Tony shared with us, had prayed a prayer sometime when they were a kid, but it's, you know, God's still got work to do in their hearts. It's, there's opening for that, but it can still feel a little uncomfortable. And um, I came up at a time when, when I was trained in a little bit of what I might call ambush. 
evangelism. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hello, person I've just met. If you died tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? Now, could God use that? He sure could. But if you walk up to somebody in the coffee section of Walmart, and they're standing in front of the K-cups, and you say, hey there, buddy. If you die tonight, and he's like, I'm going to die tonight? Would you go to heaven or hell? He's probably like, look, dude. Or I'm just trying to pick between hazelnut or breakfast blend. Um, that's all I'm going to do. Look, could God use it? Absolutely. But you know what he's much more likely to use? Your relationship with somebody you know. That you have a connection with. That you see. That's in your family. That it's at your work. It's in your circle of friends. And you share life with that person and you're able to talk to them about the Lord. Being a witness for Jesus is more than ambush evangelism. But it is also more than trying to live a good life and hoping they'll ask why. That's not going to work either. I've, I've heard the, the phrase, there's a famous quote, preach the gospel and if necessary use words. Well, that sounds real nice, but you're going to have to use words at some point. Yes, it's necessary. You can't just try to live a moral life and hope someone says, my goodness, friend, it seems that you're more moral than the rest of us heathens. Would you please explain to us the way of life? Probably not going to happen. But it will give you the credibility that when you do open your mouth and share Jesus, they'll be like, okay, there's something to this. It's a credibility thing. The disciples were sharing a home with people and sharing life with them and sharing Jesus with them Jesus shared that life with them in the first place. So question for us is, who are you sharing life with? Who are the people that you already have some kind of connection to that you can be influencing for the Lord? It might be somebody you see on a regular basis, the gas station you go to all the time. It might be someone there. When I was in Meadows of Dan, don't know if you know much about that community, but there's loafers all over the porch over there at Felicia's at uh, Poor Farmer's Market. There's all kinds of old loafers. And you know what? I worked on them for years. Some of them loafers who swore the church building would fall in. If they ever walked in it, some of them started showing up. But it took about five years to make that happen. You're going to have to play chess, not checkers, because it's not going to be quick. What about uh, the towns that... Rejected. Jesus said if some of these towns reject you, shake the dust off your feet. Uh, that's a cultural metaphor. The Orthodox Jews, when they walked through Gentile territory and they got to the border, they got to Israel, they would shake the dust off their feet. Say, hey, I don't want none of that business clinging to me. Um, Jesus said that he mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah here. And he said it would be worse than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. You've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Like famously evil cities, God destroyed them with fire and brimstone. If you've never read the Bible before and you start reading the Old Testament, it's, people make it sound like there's like fire and brimstone every fifth page. There's really not that much fire and brimstone. There's really not. So don't be disappointed if you read the Bible for the first time. You're like, where's all the fire and the brimstone at? I was promised fire and brimstone. There's not that much of it. God was pretty darn merciful even in the Old Testament. He had a lot of grace even in the Old Testament. It's amazing. Um, so Jesus said 
that it'd be worse than for Sodom and Gomorrah. And we would look around the world that we're in and say, boy, it's getting like Sodom and Gomorrah around here. What a wicked world we live in. What a terrible place. And we can see, cite all the evil things we see. We could make a list of the things that we say are wrong with this world and how we, the Lord better come and straighten it out. But Jesus said there's something even worse than Sodom and Gomorrah type sins. Missing the kingdom of God is not just about doing really bad things. So you can dress right. You can look right. You can show up at church meetings. You can have the political opinion that you're supposed to have, according to religious people. You can live a life that is superior morally to other people you know and still miss the kingdom of God. Jesus talks about an unforgivable sin in another passage, and our mind goes to some certain places. You would have your list of the things that you couldn't forgive, probably. Um, things like murder and sexual abuse. To me, uh, any, any advantage that is taken of a child, if you ever hear of me killing somebody, it's probably over something like that. That'd be, that's like the worst thing, is when a child is abused, to me. But even such horrible horrible, inexcusable, awful things can be forgiven, if not by us, by God. There's only one unforgivable sin. Jesus said it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, what is that? Well, when it comes down to it, we studied this out a while back. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting the work of the Spirit in your heart to turn you to Jesus. Is rejecting this message of Jesus. That's really, I mean, we look around the world and we say, oh, it's so awful. It's so awful. But Jesus, it starts with the heart. God wants to transform people's hearts and then their outward behavior will, will change. It's about time for us to stop being so obsessed with the sins of the world and, and look at the sin in our own hearts. God wants to deal with us. Hey, you can't change anybody else. Have you tried to change someone else? How does that go? The only person you can change is a baby when they're wearing diapers. You ain't going to change no grown-ups not going to happen have you heard the news of the revival stuff lately isn't that awesome that's amazing and we'd love to see that here here's what i want us to remember as we pray to god for revival revival is not when people on the outside show back up when when non-religious people get with the program revival is what happens when believers decide that a watered down spiritual life is not enough that when believers start cleaning out the mess dragging the stuff out of the closets of their heart and dealing with the mess in their own heart. That's where revival comes from. I've told you before, revival is when you go and you move the stove in your heart because you know there's always mess behind that stove. Your whole kitchen can be clean and then you move the stove. It's like, oh, what's that? Don't even know what that is. There's stuff like that in our hearts. It's time to move the appliances and clean them behind. That's when a revival happens. You see, Jesus did not send these people out to non-religious people to make them religious. They were already religious. They were Jews. They had comparatively a good religion. It wasn't about that. Jesus was calling them to something more, more than to just be religious, more than to just say they believe, was calling them to be a disciple. That's a level of commitment that we're called to. So what are they preaching? Preaching that people should repent. Still in verse 12. Preaching that people should repent. So they cast out evil spirits and they healed folks. And the miracles were cool, but the message was really what it was about. All these miracles were to point them to the message. And the message was repentance. In our culture, 
That's a word that is not readily accepted. If you say someone, well, you probably need to repent. And they'll probably say, well, you probably need to back off. Because that's not something that people readily accept. That the idea of repentance, but I'm going to tell you what repentance is. Repentance is realizing you're on the wrong road and turning around. It's like seeing the sign that says the bridge is out. Turn now. Jesus is the one who sent these disciples out to say, hey, tell people the bridge is out and they need to turn because if they keep going down this road, it's going to be destructive. That's the call to repentance. To say, oh, if I keep living my life this way, it's going to destroy things I love. And I've seen that recently. We've got to make a turn on a different road. You know, another name for Jesus is, he said he is the way. That The word is road. I mean, it's, it's the same word. It means road. He is the way. He's also the bridge, too. He's the bridge that gets us over the chasm. There is only one bridge into eternity, and that's Jesus. It, it only makes sense to be a disciple. It only makes sense to follow Him. It only makes sense to share it with other people. If you knew the bridge was out, you'd flash your lights or something, wouldn't you? If you're on the highway, you'd do something. You wouldn't just let somebody fly off a bridge. Now, we started with the idea of, of a business that tries to pull more people in and more people in and more people in. More converts to the cause. More people selling the weird juice. Is that what we're about? Are we just here to recruit more people to sell the weird juice? No. We're here to do something more than make converts even. One more scripture, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, Jesus came to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things which I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Um, in verse 19, what does it say? Does it say, go make converts? Go make some more religious people? Go get some people to join the church and get on the membership roll? Go therefore and do what? Make disciples. Make disciples. Does making disciples include encouraging people to trust in Jesus for salvation? Absolutely. But that is the beginning, not the end. He says baptize them. What's baptism about? It's more than getting people wet. It's more than dunking them. It's bringing them into this community of faith. Um, it says to teach them, and that's the heart of discipleship. To teach. So we, we get back to those questions. I think we have one last slide, Matthew. Those two questions we had at the beginning. If we're disciples who make disciples, are you being discipled? Do you have some way you are actively learning and growing? Are you reading your word? Do you have a mentor? Do you want a mentor? Because I bet there's some folks here in this room who would help you on your spiritual walk if you need someone. You do need someone. You do. I'll confirm that. You need somebody. If, if you're willing to be a spiritual mentor, let me know. Because there's people in this room who don't have one right now. I want you to let me know if you need a spiritual mentor to guide you. And I'm going to hook you up with somebody. We're going to make some connections in this room. Okay? Don't, don't leave the room until we make some connections. And that leads us to the second question. If, you are, if we're disciples who make disciples, are you being discipled and... Who are you discipling? You say, I, don't, I can't disciple anybody. Well, find somebody who knows a little less than you. 
and share with them. It doesn't have to be official. It doesn't have to be weird. Just share life with them. Pray for them. Pour life into somebody. Refuse to be the dead link in the chain. Be a disciple who makes disciples. Tony's going to lead us in one more song. I'm going to ask you to stand, please. Right now, you don't have to sing. Just do business with God. Sing if God puts in your heart to sing. We can pray for one another right now. If you need to be prayed for or prayed with, I'll, I'll be here. All right. Tony's going to lead us in one more song. Thank you, Tony. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for being a part of this. I do want to invite you out on Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. for that prayer meeting, and you can invite other folks who you know are prayer warriors to that. We're just going to get together, and we're going to pray. God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful week. I want to send us out with a word of prayer, and then I will let you go. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love and your desire to have a relationship with us. God, I pray we will grow and grow in our faith and share that faith with others. Lord, make us disciples who make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you all. Hope you have a wonderful week. Hope we'll see you back here next time. Hope we'll see you Wednesday. Take care.